Cheryl Johnner? More like Cheryl Goner. This week, the UCP has proposed some changes to the Local Authorities Election Act, and we'll talk about those with Barry Morishita, the president of the AUMA. Plus, Ward A School Board Trustee Cheryl Johnner resigns, and the city nicks his parking limits. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 90. We're 10 off from the big 100. It's a milestone. It will have been 100 rapid fire segments. Here's number 90. Alberta experienced a phenomenally lucky break this week as COVID-19 related shutdowns had a minimal number of tourists in Banff National Park as it was crushed under several billion tons of land and concrete when a wormhole encompassing the circumference of the Hende teleported Edmonton to the Rockies. Scientists estimate that at least 70 endangered or undiscovered species are now permanently extinct as the concrete rubble of the new Stanley Milner Bibliotank crushed the last wisps of air out of their lungs. The Premier of Alberta was quick to comment on the event, saying, quote, the NHL should absolutely come to Edmonton, end quote. The city of Edmonton is looking to install train crossing arms in the middle of the North Saskatchewan River after Global News reported this week about an Edmonton doctor who said, quote, my commute is the best part of my day, end quote. Darren Markland, an emergency room nephrologist, bikes and canoes to his work at the Royal Alex Hospital. Deputy city manager in charge of city operations, Gord Seabrook, was quick to respond to the story, saying, quote, We take claims of Edmontonians enjoying their commutes very seriously, and while federal waterway jurisdictions prevent us from installing an above-grade train through the North Saskatchewan, we can at least put some lights and arms there to make this guy stop for about 10 minutes every day for no reason, end quote. Poplar fluff has become a popular appearance as it pops off the branch and pivots every place, provoking the allergies of the populace. An apoplectic population, pleading for a pause from the pieces piling everywhere up to the tropopause, found no respite as city employees confirmed that this period will pass as they predicted it should. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This episode is brought to you by World on Fire, a new podcast from CBC Edmonton. World on Fire is a new five-part series that takes you to the front lines of -of out-of-control wildfires in Canada, Australia, and California. Here's a preview and just a warning, the sirens you're about to hear are in the trailer. Some people say the end is near. Some say that it's already here. Holy look at that! Ah! Oh no! Hang on, honey, we're gonna be okay. When your backyard is burning, is anywhere safe? I'm Adrian Lam, and I'm hosting a new podcast called World on Fire. Along with wildfire expert Mike Flanagan, we're taking you to the front lines of fires burning out of control in North America, Australia, even the Arctic. We'll meet the reporters who are covering these devastating stories and hear from the people who, despite terrible loss, rebuild again and again. This goes on, and like when I grow up, maybe that this is going to be even worse, and I might actually be in a situation where there's a wildfire around me. We'll tell you what the future holds and take you inside the latest tools and technology, providing hope. That's World on Fire, a five-part original podcast from CBC Edmonton. Available on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts.
Our first guest is Barry Morishita, the president of the AUMA and the mayor of the city of Brooks. Welcome, Barry. Oh, thanks for having me. So, Mac, give us a brief primer on what happened this week with some of the legislation that got as good as passed. Well, introduced. The UCP put forward Bill 29 this week, which they described as a way to level the playing field for local elections. And our friend, uh, blogger Dave Cornway, said... Quote, overall, these bills could probably be summed up as one step forward for democracy and two steps back for transparency and accountability, end quote. So some of the changes that he is referring to, and we'll link to his blog post in the show notes. Um, Bill 29 uh, has a change so that incumbents uh, cannot carry over any sort of campaign war chest between elections. And it also increases the amount that candidates can spend from $2,000 to $5,000 ahead of the election period. It raises the donation limit back up to 5000 It allows candidates to self-finance their own campaigns up to 10000 It makes it legal to donate to up to 5000 to as many candidates as you want. So this effectively removes the cap on individual donations. It importantly removes the requirement that candidates disclose their donors ahead of election day. So that's what Dave's referring to, I think, when he's talking about transparency and accountability. So that means potentially you wouldn't be able to see who's financially supporting the person you might vote for. Um, And then it also removes spending limits for third-party groups before the start of the election period. And so this has brought some concern in around uh, potentially big money coming into elections. So, Barry, you're president of the AUMA, and the AUMA has released a statement that said parts, quote, gave you pause. So give us an overview. What parts of Bill 29 do you like, and what's good for local elections, and maybe what's not so good? Uh, The AUMA's position on any changes to the Local uh, Authority Election Act has always been, you know, whatever increases uh, participation, whatever uh, increases fairness, we're we're all about those changes. Um, we know there's not a magic bullet that's going to, you know, make this a perfect process, but we're, we've always been interested in, in making things better. So the things that uh, I think do make it better are, I think, the the change in the in-between campaign periods. I think that allows people that are really serious about running the opportunity to do some things outside of the campaign period. Uh, when an incumbent has the office of an elected official, he certainly has an advantage there in terms of exposure. So I think that's that's reasonable. I also think the uh, provision that allows uh, no carryover of a war chest is a good thing to do as well. That makes everybody start from the same position going forward into the next election campaign. Uh, you know, some of the small changes, uh, removing the nomination period from six to four weeks, sometimes in smaller particularly in smaller uh, contests, you know, you're, you sometimes have a long uh, wait looking for candidates. And so that's that's a reasonable thing to do. Self-financing, uh, you know, that can be argued a bit either way. But I think for small campaigns and uh, that it, it's not a bad thing. Some people don't want donations. They, they really don't want to take donations. Uh, I've, I've done that myself. I, I'm really not interested in taking donations to run campaigns. I'm in a small city. And I've never had to do that. So there's uh, those are some of the good things about it, I think, that make it um, easier in some cases for people to be, uh, you know, persuaded to maybe run for public office. So those are some good things. What were some of the things that gave you or the AUMA that pause? So uh, I think uh, what you mentioned what uh, Dave Cornway said, there's, there's very similar issues. So the the removal of uh, some limits, uh, both on disclosure and spending uh, for third party. Again, it's it's about fairness and 
transparency. And so when you look at the idea that uh, a third-party pack or a third-party advertiser, what do you want to call it, can spend up to $350,000, for instance, without having to file or disclose, uh, a candidate can't do that. We don't think that's fair. And transparency being a really important thing in local municipal politics, we do that in a number of areas. Uh, we pretty much conduct all our business in public. Uh, you have to pass budgets and bills and bylaws have to be debated and passed in public. So we don't don't have that cloak of secrecy around not just what we did, but how we got there. And I think those are important tenets of our uh, local democracy. So anything that interferes with that, I think, has to be examined really closely as to what the purpose of it is. So that's one. Uh, the other one is the disclosure date. So we have disclosure, but there, uh, the you know, the idea is that there's some red tape issues around preoccupying a candidate, but we don't think that an interim uh, release of uh, donor information is particularly onerous. And so I think we want to look at that one as well. And then the, the, the 5,000 per person per candidate. So you could literally give, if you're a wealthy individual, a lot of $5,000 donations to a lot of candidates in a race. And, uh, you know, not the, the average Albertan probably couldn't do that. And as a result, we think there could be an inherent unfairness to whose voice is heard. And we want to try and mitigate that as much as possible. We know that people should have the right to participate, even if they're not a candidate. But I think those rules have to provide for a fairness and equity uh, during the campaign, for sure. So you've talked a lot about fairness, about uh, participation and maximizing participation. And I wonder, uh, because some Edmonton politicians have lamented this, was the AUMA consulted in any material way on these changes to the Local Authorities Election Act? Were you engaged and asked for your input prior to the introducing of these bills? So we uh, we were to a small degree. Um, we know we were all surveyed. Our members were all very active in the surveys that were done. And, and on the survey question, we really like to see the pro province release that information that was gathered up in the survey. Uh, that would help us to understand a little bit more of where Albertans were going. And we've made it very clear to the government that anything that uh, interferes with those principles are things that should be guarded against and, and not brought into legislation. So to that effect, um, the government has committed to AUMA and to me uh, that they will consider amendments and changes uh, that strengthen uh, the bill. I, I have to be uh, take them at their word that they do want to improve um, access and they do want to level the playing field. But, uh, we're just not sure that the combination of things, uh, the way they're set out, um, might not necessarily do that. And we're going to press those issues forward. I read in an interview you did recently that uh, Municipal Affairs had told you that it was open to possible amendments. And I understand the AUMA board was going to discuss the bill, I think, today. Is that is that the case? And, and if so, what yes. did you guys discuss? Yeah, we did discuss. So we we certainly discussed the overall bill, and and we came to the conclusion that there are some amendments that don't adhere to our principles uh, that we have set out, and that they need to be addressed. We just talked about some of those. Uh, we talked about the fact that the city of Calgary and the city of Edmonton are unique situations in our electoral map uh, when it comes to local municipal politics. So, you know, you take the scope and I'll even take a fairly good sized city, like uh, say the city of Medicine Hat, 60,000 people. 
they they rarely run some you know huge money campaigns that I've been aware of over my time in municipal politics. Uh, they have a system of election uh, no wards, so everybody runs generally, and and they don't have a huge huge campaign to run in a city of sixty thousand. You take a city of of Calgary with some wards uh, twice as large as some provincial boundaries in terms of constituency associations, there's just a whole different dynamic there. So one of the things we discussed was that Edmonton and Calgary are unique, and perhaps there should be different rules there. And uh, I know the city of Edmonton and Calgary have talked about an open process, a public process to do that. And and AMA thinks that that should be considered for them. And we also talked about uh, the reasonable limits on some of the things we talked about today, that we've come to the conclusion that those are things that individually might not be detrimental, but when you combine them all together, the potential for distorting a a result based on someone's ability to um, access funding or someone's association with a third-party advertiser or those kinds of things um, could distort it, could bring some distortion into elections. And we don't want that. We want fairness and openness. If these changes went ahead as written, if the uh, municipal affairs wasn't as open to your amendments as they may have indicated they might be. What is the likely impact of some of these changes for voters in 2021? Well, that's that's difficult to say uh, because you know voters are really smart, <laughs> and, and and we don't. And I think generally politicians uh, should give them a little bit more credit for being uh, tuned up to the nuances of why things happen and what things are going on. So, in the recent past, we've seen a lot of big. Big money campaigns get defeated, and I've seen lots of smaller money grassroots campaigns win. So as a result of kind of determining who would win and who would lose under the new rules, that's really difficult. What I think our our longer-term concern is that if the kind of normal operations of municipal elections, rather than being places where you kind of, it's hand-to-hand, face-to-face a lot of it, you're talking about really, really, Uh, close local issues, things like roads, things like snow removal. You're talking about how how a community can be built up and and how uh, it should be reflected in what the priorities of a a city or town or village council are. Could get drowned out by bigger conversations because of bigger money being involved on maybe a single issue and how uh, a single issue might dominate a campaign. Um, and we're concerned about that because uh, communities are complex and they require uh, a lot of dedication and knowledge and learning and education. And to do that, you have to be kind of free of the big noise that sometimes you see in big campaigns, provincial, federal campaigns. We, we don't want that dynamic in municipal campaigns. We want activity. We want engagement. We want people to vote. Uh, but we don't necessarily want all of the hype that comes with it. We want to get to the rock hard substance of the issues in, in communities. It's interesting that you bring up that point on you don't want the hype and some of the larger issues of federal and provincial politics to creep in. Uh, I know previously Municipal Affairs Minister Casey Madu had floated the idea of increasing some partisanship at the municipal level, uh, perhaps even adding parties to uh, the municipal elections in Alberta. Does the AUMA have a stance on something like that? Uh, And is that something, I know it wasn't floated in these amendments and it wasn't proposed today, but has the AUMA discussed that in the past? Yeah, we have. And we just recently did when we were, when it came up in our uh, online uh, confirmation of our principles around local elections and 
uh, partisanship uh, and party politics, uh, you know, re- received a resounding rejection among our members that participated. And I think that's twofold because the issues that affect uh, communities and, 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 and it's, it's unfortunate in a lot of ways how party politics sometimes can color a whole bunch of issues. But when it comes to local communities, you know, the things that I'm concerned about as mayor of the city of Brooks and president of the UMA are, you know, health and safety. I'm concerned about economic development. I'm concerned about uh, water and wastewater treatment. I'm concerned about uh, making sure people uh, feel safe in their homes, that we have good first response, fire protection. Those, those are not partisan issues in any way, shape or form. Those are like basic quality of life issues that every community wants to have. They shouldn't be wrapped in a partisan blanket uh, of any kind. And so if you bring partisan politics into it, you can lock potential elected candidates into a, a box of policies that were presented to everyone to endorse. And regardless of whether that actually feeds a solution for your community. And that's not to say that people don't bring their political views into the conversation. They absolutely do. We all have them. But what we do in a municipal setting when we're not bound to a party policy or party platform is that we work through them until we find solutions. Not everyone is always happy with the final outcome, but my experience has been that 99 times out of 100, uh, they lead us in the right direction and they make progress. And partisanship uh, just doesn't afford that, I think, as regularly and as consistent. Yeah, and I think you'll find as us, we're hosting a municipal politics podcast, we very much agree with that and we appreciate the back and forth on a day-to-day basis. I hope you'll allow me to divulge in a minor hypothetical. Um, If I was theoretically the premier of a province, a newly elected premier, and I was looking at two-thirds of my population living in large cities who generally are agreed to have progressive mayors that won on pretty large mandates and councils that agree with those mayors' visions, and I was looking to radically unseat that at the municipal level, what I might do is draft legislation that reduced incumbency advantages and allowed a large increase of funds across the board such that I could run a slate of candidates and backdoor party politics into municipal councils without anyone really seeing it or on the books. I'm not saying anyone's doing that, but do you think that's a risk with these upcoming changes? Yeah, I, I think there's a, a risk to it that like-minded, particularly uh, people of means or or whatever that have the ability to fund such a venture could. And in fact, it's, you know, unfortunately, it's even contained within our certain our rules now. In my experience, again, my past experience, wherever there's been a slate that's been kind of funded and and uh, had one one direction that they have not done very well in municipal uh, contests. I think for the very same reason that uh, I just talked about, the issues are different and they don't resonate uh, that way. However, if uh, those types of activities were happening, I would also think that voters would want to to uh, to reject that type of activity. Because the job isn't to win the election. The job ultimately is to represent uh, your perspective at a table of, of a diverse um, group of people that are dedicated to serving. So anything that interferes with that at the local level, I've found a lot of 
voters just aren't interested in it either. And they usually reject it out of hand. So um, I'm counting on uh, our electors to do a lot of that discernment. Because like I said earlier, we can't uh, shelter the process to the point where we can eliminate everyone's uh, need, want or, the, you know, some people's maybe desire to do those kinds of things. Uh, but we can do is keep everyone informed about what's going on. And that's why the transparency rules are really, really important. Thanks so much for joining us, Barry. Um, good luck, Mayoring Brooks. So. You bet. Thank you. And just a little bit about Brooks, just so you know, I'll put my little plug in here. So Brooks is 15,000 people. We have about a third uh, of our population are visible minorities. Uh, we're, we have over 100 languages spoken in the city. We're one of the most diverse urban communities in the entire country. Uh, you have to come out and look at it. It's it's really an amazing community, and it's it's transformed over the last 20 years uh, into something quite uh, quite unique in Alberta, for sure. Sounds like a summer trip. Yeah, road trip. Anytime. Thanks so much for joining us, Barry. Thank you very much for your interest. I appreciate it. Hopefully his optimism about my hypothetical is the reality that will come to pass. Then again, when has Troy ever been wrong? Speaking of being wrong, EPSB this week had uh, some drama, I think would be a mild way to put it. Cheryl Johnner was speaking on the motion to suspend the student resource officer program uh, while it engages in a review of the program. And she said some... Uh, I'm going to say unfortunate things is the absolute lightest way we could put it. Absolutely. I mean, board chair Trisha Estabrooks called them unacceptable, racist, and wrong. So she was a little more strong in her uh, description of the comments. But essentially, uh, in this discussion, uh, Johnner said that uh, the school resource officers act as a deterrent because refugee students... Uh, sometimes enter schools and can be violent. She said, quote, all they've known is violence, end quote, in, in reference to those students. I need to emphasize that Cheryl Johnner said those things. These are not the views of speaking municipally nor Taproot Edmonton. Absolutely um, not, no. So uh, in a really shocking move for Albertan politicians, she actually took accountability for her comments afterwards and she resigned her position as Ward A trustee not 24 hours after the comments were made, uh, which, I mean, yeah, that's a good thing, but it definitely caught me flat-footed by surprise. Yeah, she's called her own comments inappropriate and immediately regrettable, and uh, the CBC reported that Estabrook spoke to her and she offered her resignation in that call, so it was very quick compared to what we've seen with some of the other issues that have come up uh, uh, since the Black Lives Matters protests began a few weeks ago. Uh, some people doubling down or, or taking a while to come around to apologizing. Hers was right away. I think the thing we need to cover with this, because yeah, Cheryl Johnner's comments were deplorable. A resignation is absolutely a warranted and appropriate response, but I think other board members, especially Chair Trish Estabrooks, are getting off very light here um, because when you consider the context of what happened, this was after the board unanimously voted to review the school resource officer program, and then it came to a vote to suspend the program while the review was underway. And that vote was tied 4-4 and therefore failed because a tie fails. Right. Now, Cheryl Johnner's comments were in reference to her vote. She was giving a justification for her vote. So we can definitely assume that her reason for voting was racist. 
that that has been made very clear. So if we, as a Edmonton Public School Board, allow her vote to stand, because if she hadn't voted the way she did, or if she wasn't on the board, the motion would have passed 4-3. To continue the status quo and to continue to allow that motion and that vote to stand is, frankly, the systemic racism. It is the same type of inaction that allows systemic racism to persist and to continue to affect our society. So for Trisha Estabrooks to make the condemning comments saying these were absolutely inappropriate, but then not recall the vote, which she can do because she voted against it, she was on the prevailing side, rings incredibly hollow to me. When you couple that with the reasoning that the board chair gave for not speaking up in the moment, which was, quote, she didn't hear it. Right. Baloney. Right. Not only were the comments made in the moment, but Cheryl Jonath then closed with comments later. You had other board trustees like uh, Bridget Sterling, uh, trustee for Ward G, went through great pains to say, yeah, I heard it and I failed by not speaking up. Trisha Estabrooks seems to not be taking any accountability while her Ward A trustee, former Ward A trustee, is taking the fall for her, frankly, racist comments. And I think that's where the conversation needs to go. Yeah, I think you're right. Adil Hassan, who's a vice president with the Alberta Muslim Public Affairs Council, he called them out for this right away and said, you know, it's concerning that nobody else, none of the other trustees you know, address those comments. It took a while before Estabrook said, you know, if you hear a racist remark, you have to act on it. She certainly didn't act on it at the time, like you said. Um, and and nobody else did either. And, and you're right, everybody else is kind of getting off scot-free. There is a vote that doesn't need to be recalled, though, and that was on Edmonton City Council this week. They made history, I guess, yeah. We we're, were the first major Canadian municipality to eliminate parking minimums in our zoning bylaw. Yeah, that's right. Council voted, uh, I believe, unanimously, right? To, it was unanimous. To uh, amend the zoning bylaw to remove minimum parking requirements. It becomes effective July 2nd. And in the uh, press release about this, um, the city noted that you know on-site parking is expensive. The cost often gets passed down, creates significant economic barriers to affordable housing. Lots of good things in here for why council made this decision. Um, we should be excited. This is a positive thing, but it's also a long-term thing, right? It's not like all of a sudden um, now everybody's going to eliminate parking. We we this will this will come through redevelopment and through new developments over a period of time. So it's a great thing for the future uh, of Edmonton. Yeah, like you said, there's tons of justification for why this is a great thing, and I suspect I expected when this passed, uh, when I hoped in the past that this would come to fruition, that I'd have a lot to say about it. And frankly, I sort of don't. I'm like, you know what? Good for us, Edmonton. Let's get to work on it. I think the the nail in the coffin. Well, let's use a brighter metaphor. The cherry on the cupcake was I read a comment on Mike Nichols Facebook page from one of his supporters who said, quote, I supported Mike until he voted to eliminate parking. Time to clean the entire house now, end quote. If a voter for Mike Nickel telling you that this is a bad idea 
do you need any more confirmation that this is a great idea? <laughs> That's the gift that keeps on giving, apparently. That's good news. <laughs> so this week there was a much hullabaloo about uh, e-bike rebates and how much they cost. And we don't have time to cover them this week. We promise we'll get to that and the McKean of it all next week. But it brought you to a couple questions about parking minimums. And the city has been slowly ramping up their e-park Uh, costs again, but they've been offering 30 minute free sessions across the city. And you had the pretty logical questions of how much does this cost? And were you able to find any answers? Unfortunately, no. I was really annoyed with McKean and Nickel and all the others talking about how much money we're spending on these e-bike rebates. And I kept hearing about people, as you say, talking about not only free 30-minute sessions, but also reduced rates uh, at e-park zones. And this is ostensibly to encourage people to get back out and support local business. The city has framed these as a way to support businesses and encourage people to uh, visit commercial and retail areas. And I was like, that's probably pretty expensive. I don't know. How much does it cost? Um, Essentially, what I got back from the city is that uh, they don't know. It's too early to determine what financial implications it will have for both the uh, first 30-minute free period and also the lower uh, hourly reduction uh, for parking rates, which came back when they reinstated that June 8th. The only thing I did get that was kind of interesting is about parking patterns. And so they said uh, that since they reinstated parking fees earlier this month, parking levels are at 33% of what they were the same time last year. And the rationale is that it's largely dependent on economic activities where there is paid parking. So people aren't going to stores and aren't spending money. They're also not going to, to park. I find it very, very interesting that you have council and you have the public nickel and diming about a $50,000 bill here or there, but the broad strokes of running the city, when we are asking, how much does this cost? We sort of get eh, hands up in the air. We'll figure it out later. (laughs) Uh, We had the same thing this week with grass. Uh, People had complained that, you know, cutting the grass every 21 days was too infrequent. And the city said, hey, don't worry. Within our existing budgets, we're going to increase grass frequency and cut it every 14 days. So that's increasing by 30% in frequency. And it was just fine within existing budgets. How is that possible that you can have a 30% increase in service without impacting your budget? There seems to be no rhyme or reason why they go to council to ask for more money for certain things and find money within existing budgets for others. It happens all the time. And we have no further answers for you on that. Um, Sorry to leave you wanting more and questioning the world, but isn't that the best way to spend the remainder of your week questioning and thinking and wanting to find more knowledge? While you're searching for more knowledge, you can search for a new podcast from Women in Film and Television Alberta. It's called Storylines, and Storylines highlights some of our province's most successful women in film and television, both behind the camera and in front of it. Host Sheena Rossiter, herself a filmmaker, has had some deep and instructive conversations with trailblazers and experts in the field. You can find Storylines on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, probably the same place that you should be subscribing to this podcast if you're not already subscribed. You can find it at wifta.ca. That's W-I-F-T-A dot C-A. And that's all for this week. We weren't here last week. Sorry. Yep, that was my bad, really. I uh, took a few days off and 
neglected to tell you early enough, Troy, so that we could plan around it. And anyway, I was tired, so happy to enjoy the break. Uh, we'll have another break upcoming in the future. Council's gonna go on break eventually because, hey, I guess they didn't get a long enough break when they didn't have any <laughs> meetings for the past three months. Until next time, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. I'm Barry. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. municipally.